0: Buddy, welcome to Ruining Your Childhood. Pitfalls of Nostalgia. About to do a sit-down right here with David P. Sampson. You might know him, former Marlins General Manager, that is the Miami Marlins, formerly the Florida Marlins. He also worked with the Montreal Expos before that, and David has a podcast, nothing personal, with David Sampson. You can find him all over social media at David P. Sampson. You should make sure to check him out. We're about to have a nice, good old sit down with the man himself. Hello.
1: Hello there. How are you?
0: Good, David. How are you?
1: Good. Glad we got connected.
0: All right. How, how's the day been?
1: It's all right, thank you. Well, of course,
0: yeah. I uh, I listened to your 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 NPDS this morning.
1: Oh, thank you. Nice yes. throwback hat. I like it.
0: Yes. Yeah. I. Uh, fun fact for me. I think it was fifth grade little league. Right. It was the all the teams in town. They the coaches got together and they got to pick out of a hat. You know what? Or not out of a hat, but pick out of a bag what hat that their teams got. And I, it was one of the first years of the Marlins, but my team got the Marlins. And that was my best year hitting. <laughs> uh, uh, very, very good uh, nostalgic times with the with the F. Not a big Fantastic. fan of the M, though. I can't root for the M. So, sorry to them. All right. But, yeah, uh, thanks for stopping by. Um, this is uh, Ruining Your Childhood, uh, the Pitfalls of Nostalgia. We are here with David Sampson uh host of the nothing personal podcast uh don't worry about messing up at all i will go ahead and edit stuff out uh if need be Uh, i know that you do the raw takes and everything with uh with coca and stuff but yeah just in case you know you ever you mess anything up you you need me to uh, uh pull anything out i will that actually brings me to my first question when you do your counting what is the origins of the counting
1: Oh, I've never answered that question, but I get asked that a lot, actually. Okay. So I'm going to have to keep it a mystery, but okay. when people okay. count in, so when I'm on the air on CBS, everyone before you go on the air, no matter what channel you're on, you're asked to do a mic check, yeah. and most people do 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or they'll say count to 10, and people say 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. My yeah. count is always the same. It's 8, 6, 7, 5, 3, 0, 9.
0: Okay. So now and I, you I, don't know
1: what that is, do you?
0: I totally know what that is. I I might be young, but I I'm an old soul as far as my uh, my media uh, taken. So I don't I couldn't tell you who does that song.
1: Tommy Two Tone. Tommy Two Tone. Okay, see. Eight six seven five three zero oh, nine nine. What a great song! People had to actually changed their numbers back when that song came out. People who had that as their phone number had to change it because people would just call that number. Yeah. And then it would be all these calls and people said, Nope, gotta change the number.
0: I heard there was a problem in Hollywood early on when they would put a number on the screen and any anyone that happened to have that number, it was, you know, all bad. So that's why they started doing the five 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 thing. Maybe Which I'm, is right.
1: yeah, they now do five 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 all the time in Hollywood numbers. Yeah. yeah. That is true.
0: Yeah. Fun. Fun. Well, uh in and, and you you were talking about it in your episode today as the Yankees uh, you know or trying to put their deposition or, 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 or their letter uh, away from being public. Um, I've kind of, you know, I'm a Mariners fan Um, being in the same division as the Astros um, and and getting bashed on a constant basis. uh, I wanted to ask you, you always talk about, you know, how all the teams cheat and everything like that. Like, should I still be mad at the Astros? for because they won i mean because you say that all teams cheat is it just that the mariners are really bad at it <laughs> or 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 they're not willing to go as far i mean like i'd be willing to for some cheating in a, in a title you know what i mean i want to
1: my yeah, other the team Astros is the Sonics, just have, so. they just have better players yeah. than the mariners have had over the years so when i say all teams cheat that means that we will all do anything we have to do to try to mm-hmm. gain an advantage and we will bend, stretch, and look through the rules through any prism we want to try to excuse anything we do. The problem that the Astros had is they went further than most teams do by hitting the garbage cans, not by using their video room to try to steal signs or putting cameras around the ballpark. All of that is standard operating procedure. But -hmm. the ways to communicate to your players, uh, no one ever thought to do it by banging on garbage cans. And I think that's what was really the most upsetting to other players around baseball. But at the end of the day, everyone's living in a black house. So it is, you know, that's not it. In a glass house. Glass
0: house, there you go, yeah, yeah.
1: Everyone's living in a glass house. So from their standpoint, uh, it was bizarre for me to see the number of players who came out as angry like Aaron Judge did specifically, saying that their title is tainted, they shouldn't have won it. Uh, But in fact, the Yankees... As as you may see in this letter, and even if it's not in the letter proper, everyone in the industry knows the Yankees do the same type of thing as well, uh, as do, again, the other teams. So should you be angry with Houston? The answer is no. Should you be jealous of Houston? Just like I'm jealous of the Rays, who are really good at low payrolls, or the A's, who are really good at low payrolls. And and I say jealous would be a better word than angry.
0: Yeah, touche. Uh well now I live in Portland, right? I grew up just north of uh Seattle in Bellingham, Washington. And so uh having the the uh mid-90s Mariners was a fantastic way to grow up on baseball. And so baseball became my favorite sport, right? That and then and basketball close second, but baseball, you know, I had Griffey, A-Rod when he was young, um you know, Joey Cora, just, you
1: know, Randy Johnson.
0: I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, and the kingdom was a fantastic place. I remember being a kid and shaving my head to get into the boneyard for JB <laughs> section. I think in right field, you know, uh, so I had some great times with, with Seattle sports and stuff like that. Um, what is your, do you think that that, that Seattle will see the Sonics within the next 10 years? And if so, do you think it is more expansion or, or or another team moving because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing I'm having a hard time seeing another team moving at this point I guess
1: yeah I think the NBA will expand I think that's the best way to get money quickly to the owners to try to get them over what happened during the pandemic and the loss of a couple years of revenue mm-hmm. and I use Seattle all the time as an example of a city that did not step up to keep a team and is going to have to step up to get a team and it's yeah. always easier to keep your team than to get a new one but mm. sometimes politicians just don't get it, and you see it time and time again. Go back to the Washington Senators. They've been trying to get a team. They got the Washington Nationals. It took forever. Look at certainly in hockey. Uh, I know that Quebec City would love to have a team back, right, when they lost that team. Uh, the Nordiques they were called way back yep. in the day. Yep. But if you look at different, different cities, uh, it's just fascinating to me to watch the politics back and forth when it comes to stadium financing, when it comes to working with owners to get facilities built. And it's the same really in any business. We would always teach people at Morgan Stanley, don't ignore your customers because you're spending time getting new ones because it's way, way more expensive to get a new customer than it is to keep an old one.
0: I feel like, on kind of a side note, but I feel like cell phone companies kind of don't do that, right? Where they, there used to be incentives to, or I mean, correction, let me start that over. Cell phone companies seem to give no incentive to be a reoccurring customer. For the longest time, it was always about, you know, switch to a new provider, get the new contract, you'll get the deal. Same thing with, uh, you know, um, Comcast and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. six months goes by and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're back up and then you just switch to the other provider and you just keep doing it back and forth. And it's annoying, but that's the way you save money, it seems like. so.
1: Yeah, I've always had an issue, but I think that the biggest difference there is the ease in which you can go from T-Mobile to AT&T to Sprint and then back and then forth. It's, true. it's, true. Yeah. it's way easier than, than getting a client, let's say, to invest $10 million with you or to get someone to switch from Pepsi to Coke or to get someone uh, to get a new sports team to replace the team you lost. So right. I think cable companies and, and cell phone companies, it's really so much easier to deal with customers and customer turnover than it is in other businesses.
0: Totally. Totally. Talking about, well, also in, um, the Northwest sports scene, you know, you got, uh, uh, you know, Paul Allen passed away a couple years ago. You had the ownership of the Seahawks and the Blazers go to Jody Allen. And I think it's the Vulcan group. If I, if I recall correctly, um, do you have any professional opinion on, um, on the Vulcan group and how they're doing as an ownership group. Because uh, for me, as a, a, you know, I used to have a one time owner of season tickets of the Blazers and a once fan of the Seahawks. You know, um, I've been hearing from people a lot of, uh, uh you know, kind of hatred about the way that Jody Allen is running both franchises, both with, you know, like the, oh, some people don't know what she's doing with the Russell Wilson trade, or, You know, and I know it's not her, right? But some people don't know what they're doing with the Russell Wilson trade, and some people don't know what the what Portland is doing. And I mean, Portland's been a dumpster fire. I mean, I think that they should have gotten rid of, you know, Terry Stotts and Neil O'Shea right after they lost in the Western Conference Finals. You know, kind of like, you know, change it while you're, on the rise, and instead they waited till regress and then they changed everything. Hired Chauncey Billups, that was the whole PR, you know, uh, uh, uh blow up from that. They fire uh, their general manager halfway through the season. Now you have a lame duck coach, and then they get rid of all of their roster for questionable assets. And so there's a fear, long winded uh, start to that, but there's a fear that, um, Jody Allen and the Vulcan group might threaten to move the Blazers to Seattle because I think it's the, the Moda Center where they play their uh, um, uh, their lease ends in 2025, I think. And they're also doing uh, freeway expansion right around the area. And so how real do you think that possibility that the Vulcan group will use the threat of moving to Seattle to get a new stadium built?
1: Well, that's page two of the playbook, right, of trying to get a ballpark done is you threaten relocation or trying to get an arena done. So that's, that's sort of an obvious play. And it's funny you're bringing this up because I'm working on tomorrow's Nothing Personal. I don't know what day you're releasing this, but I'm working on I'm releasing to, to it ma- today. Okay, yeah. so, so yeah. To, make it a, to make it clean. I'm mm-hmm. working on tomorrow's Nothing Personal okay. before we started this show, and one of the topics that I'm working on is the concept of ownership and the importance of ownership and does it actually matter that much is there a correlation between the wealth of the owner and the success of the team is there a correlation between where the owner lives and the success of the team and i'm going to do it under the umbrella of chelsea who's for sale mm-hmm. and there's 20 bidders let's say and there's this whole movement on the web right now anybody but ricketts they don't want the cubs owner owning chelsea and I want to talk about my view, so without spoiling where my head is, I will say that it is really way overblown that owners go in and they don't want to try, they don't care about winning. It's a business, and that's the whole purpose of my entire show, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. It is business for owners, as it should be, as it would be for you with any business you owned, including a sports team. Everything people do in their working life is to make money. And you make money on appreciation, but you also want to make money on an operating basis, on an annual basis, and to own a sports team and to go through the aggravation of losing games and knowing that you've got an overwhelming chance of having a failed season every season because to owners, like to fans, there's either a ring or there's losing. That's it right? It doesn't feel good to lose in the first round of the playoffs. It doesn't feel good to lose in the finals. It doesn't feel good to miss the playoffs. The only thing that feels good is winning the championship. And then the next day, you want to win another one. And every owner, I've never met an owner who said to me, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy to lose. But I have met many owners who say, win or lose, I'm not happy to write checks. So Jody Allen, no matter how rich the Vulcan Group is, no matter how rich the Allens are, it's a business. And if they feel they can get a better deal in Seattle, and they can get maybe economies of scale by combining sales forces and owning two teams in a market, and many owners have tried that. Some have succeeded, some have not. The fact is, she and they will do what is right for she and them. And people say it shouldn't be that way. Owners should, it's a community asset. Owners should do what the people want. Well, but that's not realistic. That's not how it works in the real world. Owners, understandably, have to keep in mind their fans – They have to think about their customers. But I have news for you. We talked about cell phone companies before. Do you think T-Mobile or Sprint or AT&T or Comcast or name the cable company? Insert the blank. You think they sit around in the boardroom thinking about what can we do to make life easier for our customers? Or do they sit in a room and say, we can save $20 million by putting our call centers overseas and having people on hold? For seven hours or doing an automated system where you can't find a live person if you're there for three hours and you've got a a a flashlight and a spelunking hat and you can't get your problem solved so i think that owners are the same no matter where of any type of business
0: do you think that uh uh going into championship possibilities for different teams do you think I'll ever die seeing a world series Mariners World Series uh, ring
1: you know the odds are good that you will <laughs> but I'll tell you you know good? the Cubs went I guess the Cubs what did they go a hundred years something like that and there's teams like the Brewers have never won and they've been around for is it almost 50 years now or the yeah, Mariners the, have, Mar- been Mar- have been around
0: around since about 50 years now and we've never even S- been to a World Series we right. haven't been to the We haven't been to the playoffs since 2001.
1: That I know you have the longest stretch, but no World Series. There's a bunch of franchises that have not won a Super Bowl or a World Mm -hmm, Series mm -hmm. or an NBA. I mean, the Knicks last won a championship in 73. So people who were born in 74, right, they're 48 years old. They're still young. There's still time. So I would say you've got plenty of time, but I would look both ways before crossing the street.
0: I'm not putting any eggs in that basket, and, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of how that works. I mean, for me, the, the, at least, you know, we had the 90s runs, but uh, and we always got into the playoffs, I felt like, and we always went up against Cleveland or New York and always got hit. You know, it was one of those two. Where they were the Mariners killers, and so I've always been anti-Yankee for the longest time just because the pinstripes were just always coming up and, and ruining my dreams.
1: Think so. about how the Twins feel. Oh yeah, the Twins have lost to the Yankees every year. <laughs> Think about how I felt as a huge Knicks fan losing yeah. to the Bulls every year, and finally getting my chance in '94, and then losing to the Rockets. It's uh, there always seems to be that team, and I'd always be jealous of you know my friends who lived in Boston who had the Patriots win all those Super Bowls, or the Lakers or the Celtics. If you're in LA, or Detroit or Chicago, my friends. When I went to Wisconsin, I had friends who were huge Bulls fans who grew up in Chicago. And they just knew what winning. And I would have traded anything just to get one title. And that's what always makes me smile about Marlins fans when they're all angry with me because I suck so badly and our team lost so much. Well, we won a damn World Series. I, and the franchise has won two of them since 1997. How many franchises have won two World Series in the last two or more World Series in the last 25 years? How many baseball teams would you guess?
0: I'm going to say... Well, you got the Marlins, you got the Red Sox, you got the, I mean, did the Yankees win in, 90, in 99, They won 19, 98,
1: 000? 99, yep. and
0: 09. okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then they went 09. And then...
1: So you've got Yankees, you've got Red Sox, you've got Cardinals. Marlins, you've got Cardinals, you've got the San Francisco Giants.
0: Oh, that's right. Yep. yep. I mean, technically, my family's from the Bay Area. I should know that. I remember those So
1: times. I'm counting five. Are we right? Yeah. Yankees... Okay giants not the dodgers the giants believe it or not yankees giants marlins cardinals red Sox. F- only five out of 30 teams have won more than one world series in the last 25 years
0: and yet those guys on Lebatard just give you so much shit and all the all the you're you're the devil incarnate
1: when you go down <laughs> indeed to, to i am to miami in, indeed i am but
0: i'll I, take it, i'll take the devil for a title i mean in my lifetime i think that I mean, I get so excited just seeing the runs at the end of the season for the Mariners to get the final wildcard spot. You know what I mean? That's been the most excitement I've had in the last 20 years. It's just like, oh, we almost got it. And then Oakland just like, they do the the matumbo.
1: Well, now that there's expanded playoffs, maybe the Mariners have a chance. I like their team. And once you get to the playoffs, you really have to have—you have to be hot. You have to get two out RBIs that you don't expect. You have to have pitchers pitching big innings that you don't expect. You have to get out of tight jams and get a double play ground ball that you don't expect. Maybe take advantage of an error. You need a lot of things to go right to go ahead and win a World Series. Just think about the dynasties that were supposed to happen recently. I recall when the Cubs won in 16— the thought was, well, that's it. They're going to win a bunch of World Series. Mm-hmm. Well, that whole team is gone, and they won one. Mm-hmm. When the Nationals won in 19 with that rotation, the thought was when you've got Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin, and then they signed the greatest free agent ever who ended up not being good for the Nationals, Juan Soto, et cetera, they have one title. And now they're, they may even finish behind the Marlins this year. It is really hard to... Repeat, no one's done that since the Yankees in 98, 99, 2000. It's really hard just to win, too. So what the Giants did, winning every other year for that stretch, what the Red Sox have done, people who complain, this makes me crazy. Now that we're on it, a little detour. People in Boston complain about John Henry as an owner. And I'm no huge John Henry fan, but that's because I know him and have had to negotiate with him and deal with him and watch him work. But the reality is, as a Red Sox fan— there is no more successful owner than John Henry as a Red Sox. Now, occasionally they finish in last place. But guess what? They've won multiple World Series. I don't know how you could do anything but genuflect in his general direction.
0: Yeah, uh, I would take getting to a World Series at this point <laughs> and losing, you know what I mean? So, uh, I, yeah, it's always uh, it's always the, you know, the haves versus the have-nots. It's always the haves that do the complaining. Right. You know, no uh, doubt. What's it? Well, Jody. Watley? Yeah. Is
1: it Jody Watley? What have you done for me lately? Or is that Janet Jackson? That could be Janet Jackson. The song. What have you done for me lately? Dun on dun. I'm trying to think who sings that. I'll I'm have to GTS. At... But the fact is that that is a, uh, that it's is Jan- something Janet Jackson, yeah, you're Janet right. Jackson. So that's a major, major issue that sports fans have Everyone has recency bias, so when your team has a bad year, the assumption is the team is stunk forever. That's going on right now, by the way, in uh, Pittsburgh, where people think Bob Nutting is the worst owner of all time. Sell, sell, sell. The Pittsburgh Pirates, I'd have to go back. I'm going to say in the last 10 years, they've made the playoffs twice maybe. They had that run where they made it. Uh, the Reds were in the playoffs, even though now they're selling. The Oakland A's make the playoffs every year. Now they're tanking. But they, but those teams have great runs. And the, the thing that happens, the Cleveland, I was going to say Indians, the Cleveland Guardians, the Dolans are the cheapest bastards of all time. Get rid of them. The Cleveland Guardians have had unbelievable success in the past 25, 30 years. Now, no World Series championships, but, God, they've had several, several runs with great, great teams. So I think recency bias players, is, yeah. is a big, big issue.
0: A lot of great players on the cleveland roster throughout the years i mean kluber chain bieber you know a lot of great pitchers have come through that they know how to it seems like they know how to develop pitchers really well but i mean game seven of the world series i mean you got pretty close i don't know if you can do much complaining after that but i don't know i always uh it always kind of disappoints me i don't think it was the cleveland game seven but I think it was the Dodgers Astros game seven in Los Angeles, where I think it was game six was very close, and then uh, you know maybe even went to extras if I recall correctly, and then game seven happened and it was just an absolute blowout. Like Springer hits like a, a home run like right off the bat, and it also Super Bowl with the Seahawks and the Broncos, and I think it was like one of the first plays opening drives the Broncos miss the snap, ball goes flying over Peyton Manning's head. And the Seahawks ended up winning forty-five to nine. Not a fun game,
1: you know. By the way, the Astros dynasty—that was going to be a dynasty. Mm-hmm. They have one yeah, title. That's
0: true. That's true. Uh, but they—they they are, you know, constantly just smacking us down in the AL West. But that's
1: but but they went through a stretch where they lost hundred games three years in a row, and that wasn't true. too long ago.
0: No, they bounced back very quickly. Uh, it's not like the Rangers, uh, you know, who are in the AL West, who are arguably worse off than the you know, Mariners in some ways.
1: Well, they did. They, 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 they opened it. They really got unlucky, right? They opened a new ballpark. What a nightmare to have your new ballpark ready to go. You're looking forward to it for years. And the opening day is going to be 2020. You're all excited. And then the pandemic hits and you can't have fans except when you're hosting a neutral world series. And then they try to do it again in 21, having lost all that money and now the ballpark's a year old, and then the team stinks. But give them credit. They went out and got Seager and Simeon, and they're trying again. And it's like they're going to do a relaunch, a reboot, a rebrand, and I, and I hope the Rangers do well.
0: Mm-hmm. Should the uh, should I be excited about this most uh, recent transaction that happened? Was it Jesse Winker to the Mariners? And um, He's a good player. Eugenio Suarez? Is that you right had right to right? take
1: on Suarez's money to get Winker? Okay, So that, that's how that deal goes. When you trade a really good young player, what you'll say to a team, we did this, believe it or not, our trade with the Red Sox, people will find this hard to believe. When we, the Red Sox wanted Josh Beckett only back in 2000 and whenever it was, 2005, the offseason of 2005 after that season when we couldn't repeat as champions as much as we tried for the next two years. And we said, Beckett's in play, but you've got to take Mike Lowell because Mike Lowell was signed to a huge contract, and he was not performing, and we thought he was done, and the Red Sox agreed to take on uh, Lowell's contract, got Beckett, and gave us Annabelle Sanchez and Hanley Ramirez, who became great players in their own right. So, it was, uh, it, that was a trade like the, what the Mariners and Reds did, where the Mariners said, We want Winker on our team because he's young and good and an all star and will help us. And the Reds said, No problem, but take Suarez and the $33 million he has left because Suarez had a pretty down year and the Reds just, it made no sense for them to keep paying him. But if he rebounds at all, then that's, you know, like Lowell did with the Red Sox. Lowell ended up winning a World Series with the Red Sox and being an important part of that team. So Suarez could surprise you. Of course, he may strike out 600 times and do nothing, or he could hit 30 home runs and only strike out 150 times. We'll wait and see, but it's important for the Mariners that Suarez ends up being something.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you think that the uh, – the tra- like the the – literal distance between the Mariners and their next closest opponent, that being Oakland and just the, the extended amount that they have to travel versus any other team in comparison. Do you think that that has any effect on like the longevity of winning for, for them for a no. season?
1: It's funny you say that, but guess what? Uh, the Marlins and the Mariners fly the most of any teams in baseball. The Marlins, yeah, I guess are, the Marlins in order is... to get out of Florida, we have a, we have, we have to fly an hour just to get out of the state of Florida. Yeah. So we don't have short flights like to Boston, from Boston to New York and then Boston to Philadelphia. We have to fly an hour just to get out of the state. Mm-hmm. So MLB, when they're doing the schedule, part of the schedule is they say how many thousands of miles you're flying. And we have a contract with an airline that shows the number of flight hours. And the Marlins always have with the Mariners the most flight hours uh, just by definition. And uh, But no, players get on a plane. Uh, some players go right to bed. Some players watch movies, a lot of players play cards, but what I've always told people is once you're on a plane, and especially, we're we're not flying commercially, we're not sitting in coach, we have big planes, we have big seats, they all lie down, they all recline, there's great catered food, it's not crappy airplane food. So it's not exactly tough travel. You take a bus right to the plane. The bus picks you up at the plane, drops you at the hotel. Your keys are waiting for you at the hotel. So it's not exactly tough sledding. And I say even to people who fly commercially, once you're on the plane, what's the difference if you're flying an hour and a half or two and a half? What, an extra two episodes? Now that there's video on board, you know, in the old days you had to read comic books or something. Now there's so much to do to entertain yourself. So no, the players do not get impacted. Players don't care about time changes. That's also very overblown. Oh my God, we're flying to the West Coast. We're exhausted. We have jet lag. Players land and they go out, they party, and then they play no matter where they are.
0: Do you think that the the MLB is looking in towards expansion at all? Or do you think that... Well, that I, I'm sure you've heard uh, of the MLB to PDX... Uh, You know, marketing campaign. I think Russell Wilson actually jumped on board with it for a little while, the whole campaign of trying to get an MLB team to Portland. Um, Do you think that that is possible? Do you think that, and if it is, do you think it's more relocation or the MLB expansion? And if that would happen?
1: So we started talking about, I was on a committee called the Competition Committee when I was president of the Marlins. And one of the big things we talked about, both on that and the Strategic Planning Committee, was expansion. And MLB will have 32 teams in the next 10 years and there'll be an extra team on the West coast. There'll be an extra team on the East coast. That'll be 16 teams in every, in the American league and in the national league. So you don't have to play interleague games. Although now they're going to an uh, unbalanced schedule again, sort of where every team gets to play every team starting next year, which is really cool. So you don't have to wait, you know, eight years to see Mike Trout. You're going to see him every other year at your ballpark. That's very good for marketing. But I think expansion will also bring several billion dollars to owners when the expansion fees are paid. And you've got a bunch of cities. We're going to have to step up and get a TV deal and a stadium deal and then an owner who's willing to pay that fee and then run that team. But you are going to see expansion, no doubt.
0: Do you think that I mean, I've looked into, you know, the the speculative uh, locations for. Uh, uh, you know, two because you know it would obviously be two cities. But you know, I've seen Charlotte on that list. I've seen Vancouver, Canada. I've seen Montreal, um, Portland, Vegas, uh, San Vegas, Antonio, San Antonio, and then I think I even saw San Jose. It was at the bottom of one list, and I thought that that would be because I think that they were putting into account Oakland leaving or something or or, or relocating. Well, Oakland's
1: not allowed to re- to go to San Jose. Really, that's a whole issue. That's a whole separate issue. That's the Giants to do with owning the rights, right? Correct.
0: Yeah, That's yeah. their
1: territory. Yeah. There there could be a third team in the New York area and mm. there should be. There could be a second team in the New England area, a team in between like a Hartford, sort of like that. I think there's a lot of places to put a team there. You know, if you could figure out the travel and figure out how to do it, there's going to be a league that, that uh, goes international. I think the NFL is going to be first, and they've made it very clear with all the games they play in London. I think putting a permanent team in London, but it would have to be two in my opinion, that's going to happen because then you've got teams that would then go to London for a two-week road trip where you go play two games. So I yeah. think that there, I think that, that is definitely a future. The world is getting smaller. Uh, air travel is getting easier. Frankly, from New York, I can get to London faster than I can get to L.A. Hmm. So in terms of how, how the travel works... Uh, but I think that international expansion matters. So the more cities who can put together a bid, the better it is for the price of expansion. So what cities need to be doing right now is getting their ducks in order, getting ownership groups together. You saw Dave Dombrowski, before he was hired to run the Phillies, was hired by a group in Nashville to sort of be the head of moving baseball to Nashville. And then he got out of there when he had a chance to run a team as quickly as he could. And uh, so I I think that all of those cities have a chance, but it really will depend who puts the best deal together.
0: Hmm. I think that, I know that that looks isn't the best, but if Portland did it right, which Portland doesn't do anything right, so I don't think this this, this is going to happen, but... There are some pretty cool locations on, like, uh, on the Willamette River, a little north of Portland in formerly industrial areas that could house, you know, uh, uh, could house a stadium and could house parking and stuff like that. But you could have, you know, you could have your river shots, right? You could have your home runs that go into the river. And if you built the stadium correctly, could have a view of Mount St. Helens and Mount Hood. So you'd have two, you know volcanoes you, know, it, you could, it could let me be just a really stop you and thing. tell
1: you that it's great right it's nice that you've got it's McCovey's imagine, Cove right? and yeah. it's nice that you've got the bridge PNC is so beautiful but let me tell you if you have a city that puts together a stadium deal that's publicly financed and you've got an owner who's willing to pay the expansion fee and it's a big enough tv market to have a competitive local tv deal you could have a stadium whose best view is of a toilet <laughs> And that city would have the advantage over a city where you've got this gorgeous sight line. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, so it's, it really doesn't fantasy. matter, but it's fun to talk about, but it's not, it's put it this way. When MLB is choosing a city for expansion, it is nowhere on page one, two, three, or four, what the view <laughs> over the left field stands would be.
0: Yeah. I don't think that going into what you were saying, uh, the idea of, the Portland area publicly funding a stadium seems very unlikely. Um, Yeah. I mean, you better find someone
1: who's willing to spend a billion dollars on expansion and then another billion dollars on a stadium. Uh, So there may be some people like that. There,
0: I mean, there's a but lot of money. That's a big importance. cost.
1: That's a big entry fee, right? If you're if you're yeah. into a team, everyone talks about how great it is to own a team. You buy the team for a hundred million, you sell it for a billion. My God, it's the greatest investment ever. You buy a team for two billion dollars, and then you run the team. And remember, you have a lot of expenses to run that team before an expansion team even gets revenue. You got to get your minor league system set up. You have to get your infrastructure mm-hmm. set up. So if you're into a team for two billion, and then you're hoping to sell it to, for three billion one day. I think at some point people will say, ooh, that seems a little heavy. So I do not believe there will be expansion in a place where there is no public financing.
0: Do you think that uh, – I've had this theory for a while um, going into the Blazers, right? Because uh, I've gone to a good amount of Blazers games. When I first got to town, they had – Lamar. Uh, when I first moved here, they had LaMarcus Aldridge, Damian Lillard, Robin Lopez. It was a very you know, up-and-coming potential team, and it's just kind of gone downhill on these you – a know, little bit of up, a little bit of down, a little bit of up, a little bit of down on a constant basis. Do you think that um, the fact that Portland's only, you know, entertainment competition is the the soccer team, you know, the Thorns and the Timbers, do you think that they skimp as far as like some of the, the inter- entertainment or, uh, you know, uh, uh, charge a little more just because they're like kind of the only entertainment in town?
1: You know, it's funny, that's another thing I'm gonna talk about on tomorrow's show. Is uh, I'll give mind. you a little. I'll give you. It's funny because <laughs> uh, Bernie Sanders is is trying to go after MLB's antitrust exemption, and one of the things he said is, "It's not affordable for anybody to go to a major league game." Well, that's the biggest bunch of horse hockey I've ever heard because we've got tickets and every team has tickets. You can get in for 10 bucks If you're uh, three, smart about it, you go on StubHub, you know? right? Like, so that's just not true. And the, the way it works, whether you're in Portland, whether you're the only team in town, the Packers, it's all supply and demand. That's it. You don't put a premium on the fact that there's no other entertainment options. You figure out how much supply you have, how much demand you have, And that's how you develop the elasticity of your ticket prices. And then you price them accordingly. And frankly, there's algorithms that do it for you. It's dynamic pricing. That's everywhere in sports right now. And that really takes all the guesswork out of it. So I, I don't think that teams sit there and say, wow, there's nothing else going on here. That means that I can charge four times what I thought I could charge in a different place or a different city, or if my team were good or my team is bad, it's really not how the decisions are made.
0: Uh, uh, One last question regarding uh, the Blazers. Um, They're kind of notorious for having difficulty with uh, uh, landing free agents, right? And I was curious, is, is part of the reason, do you think, because of the luxury tax, the high luxury taxes in Oregon? that would deter a free agent from coming in as opposed to going to like a team in Texas or Florida?
1: Well, there's no question that players take that into account. Every contract I ever did, we would talk about the fact that Florida has no state tax, and we would say, if you're going to go to another team, here's the equivalent offer you have to get. The agents are doing that calculation for the player. That is definitely an impact. So if there's a tie... Then you've got a player who wants to go where a city he wants to go to, with the people he wants to play with, especially in the NBA, where these players collude to choose where they're going to play and with who they're going to play. But taxes are definitely a factor.
0: Yeah, that's that's been my theory for the longest time. Uh, you know, it's just something that you don't hear talked about too much, but it's just you know, Portland has a very very hard time that it's like if it's not homegrown talent that they drafted so that that it's kind of going to be an issue they're only you know i think carmelo anthony uh just a couple years ago was like one of the biggest free free agents that they've landed in their their franchise history as well as like you know west matthews coming over a bunch of years back but yeah they just they have a, a big issue with it and so that's something i was thinking about so I was thinking about getting into the career of sports psychology here for a while, right? I was, I was in kitchens for a very long time. Uh, I did music for a good while and kind of kitchens was my side job. Dropped music, went into the, you know, trying to be a chef and, and running restaurants and doing restaurant management and stuff like that and menu design and all of that stuff. COVID happened, uh, you know, kind of had a, a moment of recollection or a moment of reflection, I'm sorry, uh, and, and decided that psychology was, you know, where I wanted to go. And so I was looking at getting into sports psychology. I wanted to ask you what your experience with a sports psychologist in the clubhouse uh, was like, and uh, you know, are they taken seriously or Are they ignored? I've heard that, uh, that there's a little bit of um, conflict that some players don't take a, the, the sports psychologist seriously because they think that they're going to be reported to the organization or that the organization won't use their information correctly
1: or, yeah, that's not accurate. I think the, the players who don't participate in the sports psychology are the same percentage as the general public who says, I don't need therapy, right? My view is every single person, if you have a heartbeat, you need therapy. And people, there's a stigma attached to it, which there shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And it's very bizarre. Everyone's okay saying, yeah, I broke my leg, I got to go to a doctor. But when your brain or heart hurts, you, you don't say, oh, I'm going to see a therapist because you think people will say, oh my God, you're so weak. So I've been trying to explain to people for 20 years that mental illness is the same as physical illness and should be treated the same. But there are players who don't want to talk about stuff. They don't want to get on the couch. They don't want to believe that their performance can increase by having their head more clear or that they can do different visualizations or different, different techniques that sports psychologists use. Really, there's two types, right? You can be a performance psychologist, Or you can be a mental health psychologist where players have issues just like we do with their families, with their kids, with their friends, with their anxiety. And I think that recently more players have been more public about anxiety, and that's a different type of psychologist. And we had both with the Marlins, but there's also people who get the yips you know who can't mm-hmm. throw the ball to first base from second base like Chuck Knobloch, right mm-hmm. and or the people who just get so oh, say it again
0: uh, John Lester I think was like that too
1: John Lester so- can't throw to first base yep. when he gets uh when he gets a comebacker and so and he had a hard time throwing over to first off the mound like on a pickoff throw so when you see pitchers p- throw it underhand when they f- when they have, have fielded a ground ball and, and it looks like it's sort of too long for an underhand toss, those are players who have a hard time and they're concerned. There's pitchers who get comebackers who are afraid to throw to second base because they'll throw it into center field. I think performance psychology is critical, and if you want to get into it, obviously you have to train. It is a very tough, tough market to get into, mm. but... High schoolers need it, not just professional athletes. High mm-hmm. school athletes, college athletes, any all athletes need it. But obviously, you just have to go get the training. So my advice to you, if it's what you like, go study it, get the degree, and just hang up a shingle and see if you can get three high school athletes to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Well, at this point, um, yeah, I'm debating between either media psychology or sports psychology or maybe even doing a little bit of both. And then I've kind of gotten into journalism a little bit more in the last, you know, however many months, just uh, starting this podcast and things like that and um, starting to, to research how to interview people and, and things like that. And it's, it's a fun, uh, a fun skill to have. Um, so skipping out of the sports and getting into just some nostalgia talk. One of the things I like to ask everyone that comes out of the podcast, um, kind of a reoccurring theme I have is I call it the breaking point. But do you have any moments in your life where nostalgia kind of breaks your standards as far as like. So for me, the most common example of this is I was raised on really poor food. Right. My dad and mom uh, divorced when I was uh, five ish. So my dad had four kids there, you know, we, he cooked periodically, but there were definitely some days where we got McDonald's by the bag or, or little Caesars or just some junk food. So I periodically, even though I'm a chef or I was a chef at one point in time, I eat very good food. I know what good food is. I still have the craving for McDonald's or little Caesars. Right. And so it's like this moment where this urge towards nostalgia breaks what my standard is. And I was talking to Yeti Blanc, uh, you know, to take this to another example, I was talking to Yeti Blanc, the the producer of Greg Cody's podcast, uh, of the Greg Cody show. And he was talking about going to a a Braves game and doing the chop in 2019. And he caught himself doing that, you know, and it was the, he was wrapped up in the nostalgia and it broke his standard of what he kind of believed in at this point. But do you have any moments like that for you know, it could be something lighthearted or something heavy, you know, anything.
1: Now, to me, nostalgia, it's not to break patterns. I uh, i use music as many people do. I use movies more than music even to bring me back more than smell. I use movies to bring me back to a, a moment to remind me of when when I was younger, when when things looked different to me than they look now. I like to think about... The fact that when I was young, I had a certain pair of glasses on. And as I've gotten older, I've changed glasses because I see the world differently today than I did when I was 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. So I like going back and putting on the glasses from when I was young and seeing what it's like as a 54-year-old to look at things the way I looked at them when I was 15. And I do that through movies. I do that through music. And what I find interesting about nostalgia, and I'm not a big fan of photos, because photos remind me of where I've been, not where I'm going. And I always wanna be moving forward. So I rarely look at photos, previous photos, because those were great moments in time. And photos to me, if I know I've got the crutch of a photo, then I'm not gonna be as present as I wanna be in the moment as it's happening. So I wanna be in the moment, experience the moment, and then move on to the next moment. Sort of like an adrenaline junkie, but one who pays attention every step of the way. And recognizing that moment is like recognizing an opportunity in your life. It's like being aware of what move you should make, when you should make it, and not having regret over it. So for me, nostalgia is when I look back on something because I watch a movie again, like every time I watch The Breakfast Club as an example, I will think about how I – looked at the breakfast club what it did to me as a teenager when i watched it versus now looking back and saying my god how could you have let that impact you so much that movie where you wanted so badly to be the one who got molly ringwald or you wanted so badly not to be anthony michael hall or ali sheedy you wanted to be cool it mattered what people thought about you and all of those things and and they manifest themselves through movies and or music but I, I, if you're asking about nostalgia, I guess my biggest point would be it's great to be nostalgic, but only if it helps you move forward. If it draws you backwards, then I think nostalgia is hurting you much more than it's helping you.
0: Yeah, there is actually a, a good amount of field of thought that nostalgia is a form of regression. Right? And so it is it is a way for you to be chasing something that you know you lost at an earlier age, so to speak. But apparently my my psych professor just told me today that there is some uh, studies that was published that nostalgia is good for you. so i'm I'm interested too. Listen, so I can find out.
1: studies that can tell you that anything's oh, yeah. good for me or bad for me. I can find studies that, that ballparks are great for the economy and great for the surrounding neighborhoods. I can find studies that tell you they're terrible. So I'm not a huge fan of that in terms of as a pillar of an argument, right? It doesn't buttress any argument to say that there are studies that say nostalgic is either regression or it's not. I think it's more important individually to think about what it's doing to you. So if you spend your entire day looking through your photo albums, and you spend your entire day, you know, there, Bruce Springsteen wrote the song about it, right? Glory Days. That's, that is the ultimate anthem. Do you know that song? Oh, You may totally. be too young. You do? No, no. Okay. My,
0: yeah. I was raised so, on classic rock. My, okay. My,
1: so that is the ultimate nostalgia song, right? Mm-hmm. It's people sitting in a bar whose life has passed them by, and they're thinking about their glory days. And my problem with that is, and it happens a lot, there are people who peak in high school. Yes. And to me, it's great. You have a great run. You're, you're the king of the hill. You're, you're a four-letter varsity athlete in high school. You get all the girls, and then all of a sudden, 25 years later, you know, you're, you're losing your hair, and you're wearing your letter jacket around town trying to get people to remember who you were and what you did. I'd rather always be known not for what I've done, but I want to be known for what I'm doing.
0: Does that upset you then when everyone always asks you to explain what happened with the Marlins situation? You know,
1: Not at all. Oh, no, no. listen. I talk about my past all the time, right? Because okay. people ask about it. So yeah. when you're a public figure, right, that's something that is asked of you. Tell me about your resume. Tell me how you started. So when I give speeches to people or when I do whatever it is, you know, interviews like this, I have no problem talking about my past at all. That is just sort mm-hmm. of trying to help people understand my journey so that they know that there's no such thing as an overnight sensation or there's no such thing as not having to work hard no matter what base you're born on and I tell people I was born on third base and I knew that but I worked my ass off to get home every time and there's people who are born on third base who assume they hit a triple I was born on third base and said this is just where I am but it's not where I want to stay and I think that uh So I never get tired of talking about it and if that helps people achieve what they want to achieve or help them understand what they want to achieve because you can't achieve your goals. You know, you've said it on your show already today. You named five or six different things you want to do, and that can be pretty overwhelming Mm -hmm. because it's like when your to-do list has 20 things on it and you end up doing none of them because you're like, Christ, I'm not going to get through this today and that's Story why you, my have life. To, yeah. you really yeah. have to get micro you have to you know figure out what you want to do and then get something done so at the end of the day you, you accomplish something
0: well I really appreciate you stopping by today and talking with
1: me my pleasure I'm glad this worked out
0: yes yes uh, yeah I'm gonna uh, probably just do a light edit to this and then drop it here today so I will send you the link over on Twitter and uh, yeah I'll try and stay in
1: touch alright Take care of yourself. All right, you too. Thank you. All right, nice to meet you. Bye-bye.
0: Once again, I want to thank you for stopping by and checking out Ruining Your Childhood, The Pit. Falls of nostalgia. I want to thank David Sampson for stopping by today. He's a very busy man, very busy schedule, and it is a true honor to have him stop by. Uh, I followed his career for a very long time. Make sure you give him a follow at David P. Sampson on Twitter. Uh, Make sure you follow his YouTube, the Nothing Personal YouTube channel, and really give, uh, you know, give a listen to what he's got to say he has a really really good perspective Uh, a a somewhat brash perspective some people could say or, or maybe not brash but uh unabashed i think would be a good way to put it you know make sure you give him a follow and check out his podcast the nothing personal podcast cast with david sampson uh once again follow him at david p sampson I wanna ask y'all to give us a rate, review and subscription wherever you are checking out your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify. Um, We are trying to build up in this world. It really helps us out. Uh, Give us a DM, shoot us some feedback. Tell us you love or hate the podcast. You got something to say? We're here. Thanks for stopping by. We got you coming in hot next week. Thanks again.